Hello there. I greet you with Jesus' joy. It is my hope and prayer that um, this week has been going well for you as we prepare our time of study as far as Bible study is concerned. Certainly taking wonderful delight in all of those who are joining us as far as online is concerned. We greatly appreciate you taking time out of your uh, busy schedule and your day to engage as far as Bible study is concerned. And so uh, I'm humbled by your uh, investment as far as this opportunity is concerned. Over the next several weeks, uh, I want to deal with uh, what I would call lessons in development for disciples of Jesus Christ, lessons in development for disciples of Jesus Christ. And it is my hope and prayer that over the next several weeks, we're going to be dealing with a whole lot of things as far as Christian character is concerned, ranging from why God saved us all the way to using our spiritual gifts and graces uh, to hanging in there and persevering through tough times. And so I am definitely excited about our time of study over the next several weeks as far as these lessons in development for disciples of Jesus Christ. And as we prepare to uh, navigate this particular space and this particular moment, uh, it gives me great joy for us to really appreciate what God is going to reveal as far as our time together is concerned. So, uh, Pastor, why do you want to do this? Why do you want to do this? I think that it's important. It's important for us to understand, really, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Uh, and I think that it's important for us to understand that we should be seeking righteousness, be hungering and thirsting for righteousness, that what we do as far as our works are concerned should be determined by the holiness of our lives. Uh, I think that unfortunately, too many of us in the church, too many of us who claim to be Christian, live beneath the standard. We, we, we bask in what I would call mediocrity. Uh, we live so comfortably until we are not doing anything countercultural to demonstrate who Jesus Christ is as far as the culture is concerned. And so it is my hope uh, that as we gather uh, over these next several weeks that um, I'm going to put some things before you that hopefully will stir up uh, some things in you. We're going to talk about uh, what it means to be justified. We're going to talk about what it means to be holy. We're going to talk about faith. We're going to talk about service. We're going to talk about spiritual gifts. We're going to deal with temptation. We're going to cover a whole lot. We're going to talk about 
hanging in there when times get tough. Um, and we want to unpack all of this with a sense of, of meaning and prayerfully uh, a sense of understanding so that you will know what it is that God requires of, of you. And so today, what I want to do is I want to unpack for the time that is ours, Romans 3, verses 9 through 26. Romans 3, verses 9 through 26. And I'm going to have you to engage in what I would call some personal reflection moments as far as uh, these times uh, are concerned. All right. So with that being said, let's go to Romans chapter three and let's look at verse nine um, and let's um, let's read that as far as our gathering is concerned. Romans chapter three, starting at verse nine, it reads like this. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged that both Jews and Gentiles are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips. The mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. I want you to highlight verses 10 through 18. Because for me, verses 10 through 18 really highlights the fact of why we need God and why it's important for us to be in relationship with God. All right, verse 19. <clears throat> now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, I want you to circle the word law, uh, that every mouth may be stopped and that all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Highlight verse 20. Verse 21 reads, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice something. I want you to notice that verse 21 through verse 26 in the Greek is one complex compound sentence. Verse 21 through verse 26 is one complex compound sentence. And I want you to highlight all of that as well. Okay. And now we're getting ready to unpack this, hopefully and prayerfully with some sense of meaning <clears throat> uh, so that we can really appreciate what it is that God does as far as saving us from our sins. All right. So with that being said, let's get to work. With that being said, Let's get to work. All right. I want to start off by saying that I think each and every one of us want to be accepted, either by family, friends, God knows in the church, uh, in our social circles. We want to be accepted. As a matter of fact, our identity is often determined whether we are accepted or rejected uh, by those around us. Uh, be it family, peers, workers, uh, 
students in school, even our fellow disciples as far as the church. And so we'll do anything or we'll say anything hoping to win the favor of people. Okay. Um, even to the point where we will work to engage in winning uh, the favor of God. And so uh, when it comes to the Lord, many of us think that we got to work our way and hustle our way and pay our way and attend our way to be accepted by God. And we wind up uh, trying to gain the favor of God by working out our guilt. All right. Uh, so this portion of scripture that I've read to you is dealing with what is called justification. And, and justification, I want you to, if you're taking notes, I want you to write that down, justification. I, we teach on this in our new Christian education orientation class for our new members. But um, one thing that I've learned about teaching is that you got to do it over and over again. So let me explain what justification is. Justification is a doctrine, Christian doctrine, that helps us to understand that you and I are made right with God because we've been justified by our faith in Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means that when you and I accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that ultimately what God does is that God imputes, spell this word, I-M-P-U-T-E, imputes or place on us the righteousness of Jesus, which means that when God looks at us, he does not look at us through our sins, but he looks at us through our faith in Jesus Christ and then credits, check this out, credits, gives us credit for Jesus Christ's righteousness. So our relationship with God is justified by our faith in Jesus Christ, which means that we are now in right relationship with God. We get in right relationship with others and we get in right relationship with ourselves and ultimately it now frees us. It frees us to be all that God will have for us to be. Now, this is where the rubber hits the road because uh, in Romans chapter three, verses nine through, through 26, here is the crux of the matter. When you talk about in verse nine, what then, are we better than they? Not at all, for we have previously charged both Jews and G Greeks that they are all under sin. In other words, this is how a whole lot of us in the church, and I'll be honest, I found myself guilty of this as well. well I ain't as bad as the other person, okay? Uh, I ain't doing what they're doing. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, I, I, I ain't murdering nobody. Yeah, but you're lying, okay? Uh, 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 I ain't committing adultery. Yeah, but you're gossiping. Um, uh, I, ain't, I haven't killed anyone. Yeah, but you're backbiting. Okay. And so, and so what we tend to do in the church is we have these degrees of sin. And Paul is presenting before us today that by the end of Romans 3, 9 through 26, he helps us to understand that no one can make a claim that they're sinless. <laughs> that, that none of us are exempt from the judgment of God on sin. And this is what we got to understand. We don't get anything else. That, that every person has to understand that they are sinful and they got to give an account to God for their sins. And this is why salvation is so important. It's, it's so important. So, you know, we, we have church folks go around saying, hey, I, I ain't so bad. You know, I ain't out there drinking and cussing and gambling and, and, and committing adultery and uh, engaging in lifestyles that tend to be strange as far as God's way are, is concerned. You may not be, but it doesn't mean you haven't sinned. Okay, it doesn't mean you haven't sinned. Because here, 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 is, here is where I'm getting ready to throw down a gauntlet. Have you lied? <laughs> Have you hurt somebody's feelings with your words or your tone of voice? 
Are you bitter? Uh, do you become angry with people that disagree with you? Have you sinned and check this out, thought, word, or deed? Okay, because guess what? All of us, all of us have committed sin and thought, word, or deed. All of us have committed sins of omission. Okay, the sins of omission basically means that we have not done what God told us to do. We committed sins of commission, which means that we have done things that God told us not to do. All right. All of us have to admit we are sinners. And our admission to our sins should desperately point us to salvation in Jesus Christ. Am I making any sense? All right. So here, here, here is what Paul is trying to get his Jewish brothers and sisters to understand that they're not better than the Gentiles or the Greeks. And the Greeks aren't any worse than they are, all right? Because oftentimes what the Jews would do is they would compare themselves to Greeks and to Samaritans and to people that were outside of the household of faith. And basically, Paul is like, you, you're not any better than they. As a matter of fact, when push come to shove, you may be worse, you may be worse. And so in verses 10 through verse 18, Paul is getting rid of this idea about the Jews being special privileged people because guess what? They got all of this mess, all of these sins, all of these shortcomings that he throws out before them. Okay? So, what Paul wants them to understand is that when you look at verses 10 through 18 that we kind of highlighted on, Paul wanted them to understand that the advantage of being a Jew does not apply to salvation. In other words, Jews need salvation from Jesus Christ just as well as Gentiles. All have sinned, none is righteous, and nobody can earn and I want you to hear me on that word, earn right standing from God. And then look at, look at all the stuff that, that, he, that he lays out before us, okay? Because really what Paul is doing is Paul is lifting up various sins quoted from the Old Testament that we tend to think is somewhat harsh and, and, and unfair, but none of us can can claim that we are exempt from it, okay? All right, so let, let, me, let me, if I could, help you to understand what it is that Paul is dropping on us. Let's look at verse uh, 11, and this is what we got to deal with. How well do we understand God? That's in verse 11. And how diligent do we seek God? There is none righteous, there is none who understands, there is no one who seeks after God. How well do we understand God? How diligently do we seek God? In other words, do we make it a practice to engage in prayer and Bible study and devotional time so that we can spend some quality, intimate time with God? Because if you don't, you're really not growing. You're really not developing. You're really not becoming all that God would have for you to be. All right. Look at verse 12. They have all turned aside. They have become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. How much goodness will God find in our daily lives? That's in verse 12. Do we do more bad than we do good? All right. Because check this out. If you do nothing, that's just like doing bad. Okay. If you do nothing, that's just like doing bad. Okay. When you look at verses 13 through 15, um, where it says their throat is an open tomb, their tongues, they practice deceit. The poison of asp, that's a snake, is under their lips, mouth full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift 
to shed blood. In the wake of our actions, do we leave people helped or hurting? Do we treat people better or do we leave them off worse than it was before we got there? Okay. Verse 17, and the way of peace they have not known. What is your record of peacemaking? Do you bring peace or do you stir up mess? And then verse 18, uh, there's no fear of God before their eyes. In what sense do we fear God and not fear in the sense of being scared and quaking in our boots before God, even though when you really think about all that God is, it should make you quake. But do we respect God? Do we revere God? Do we love God with all our heart, mind, and soul? Because Paul wants us to understand that if you're engaging in any of this, you're committing sin. You're committing sin. You're, you're committing sin. Okay? And so as we unpack just this snippet, and I really could do a, a, a whole teaching just on this verse, these verses, but but I'm going to kind of uh, truncate it or shorten it just so you can get the gist of it. That in verse 11, when it talks about there's none who seeks after God, there's none who understands. Seeking God is a way of expressing what is a priority. It is interesting to note that even though we don't seek God, God sought us. All right. Seeking is a matter of priority. Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto us. When we seek God, it means that we train ourselves to turn to God first for help. We train ourselves to seek the desire of the Lord. We take on God's character. And we try to serve and obey God in everything. So that's what seeking means. Do, do you do that? Do you do that? All right. Um, in verse 12, where it talks about uh, they have turned aside. They have become unprofitable. Uh, the failure to seek God does not leave a person immobilized, but rather it sets a person on a course of destruction and they wind up becoming worthless. In other words, when you don't seek God, the essence of your potential and your purpose uh, disintegrates. Look at verse 13. Uh, it talks about their tongue being used to deceive. Jesus makes it very clear. Uh, it's not what goes into a man's mouth that makes him unclean, but what comes out of a man's mouth. So, so Paul is talking about that um, our sins messes up our relationships. And a lot of times the way that we can tell that our relationships have been messed up is by how we talk to one another, how we have weaponized our speech, our tongues. Okay. Uh, and that is further uh, seen in verse 14, where it says mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Uh, uh, these are clues of what is going on inside of a person. Verse 15 through 17, where it talks about swift to shed blood um, and the way of peace they have not known. When you and I rebel against God, it leads to us committing violence against others, be it emotional violence, physical violence, financial violence, sexual violence, relationship violence. Um, uh, when you look at human history, uh, Human history is marked with war in such a way that the atrocities of war have been committed by those who don't really have a meaningful, legitimate, deep relationship with God. As a matter of fact, I would even dare contend that there have been wars that have been fought in the name of Christianity but in all honesty, it was not in the name of Jesus Christ. 
because that's not how Jesus flows. Okay. All right. And then it says, there's no fear of the, the Lord. That's in verse 18. And the, the idea of no fear of the Lord is for us not recognizing who God is. That God is holy and sovereign and righteous and pure, all knowing, all powerful, all wise. When you and I know who God is in the pardon of our sins, it helps us to have even a better picture of ourselves. And whether we want to admit it or not, we are sinful, we are weak, we are frail, and we are in need of a savior. When we recognize who God is, we ought to bow down in humble submission to help us to understand that we need God in our lives. Okay? So all of that, verses 10 through 18, is Paul laying out before us <laughs> a whole lot of our shortcomings and reminding us that we are under sin. Okay. So uh, when you understand how much under sin we are, uh, it ought to help you to understand why we need to be saved. And if you also notice how, how Paul really laid out for us uh, various parts of the human body to justify uh, his point that, that, that is made here. Notice he talked about um, the throat, open tomb. He talked about the tongue, uh, practicing deceit. He talked about the lips, check this out, the poison of asp or snakes under their lips. He talked about the mouth being full of cursing and business. He talked about how our feet are swift to shed blood. Uh, he talked about uh, in our eyes, there's no fear of God. Notice how you use these body parts. Notice how you use our body parts to really demonstrate how short we fall as far as our relationship with God and ultimately our relationship with one another. Okay, so 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 think about the next time you uh, gossip or backbite or lie about somebody or spread untruths about somebody or 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 say something that you know ain't true, but yet it creates mess and disturbance, and how that is just as being as guilty as the folks people tend to look down on that may be committing other sins. Okay. Now, verse 19 and verse 20 uh, really drills this home when we understand what Paul is laying down as far as our ability to get stuck in looking at other folks and their shortcomings rather than recognizing that we have shortcomings before God. Now we know that whatever the law says, that it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and that all the world, all the world, all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in the sight for by the law, is the knowledge of sin. No one, this is what Paul is saying in verse 19, nobody can answer to God because everybody is going to be liable for judgment. And if the Jews, who were considered to be God's chosen people, God's privileged people, God's special people, the apple of God's eye, can say nothing on their behalf due to their shortcomings and their sins, then nobody can. Nobody can. All right. And then notice where it says, and all the world may become guilty before God. All the world may be held accountable before God. Um, uh, in other words, when God looks at us, we're already declared guilty. We're already declared guilty. 
If you don't get anything else, good, we're already declared guilty. In other words, all of us. <laughs> now, we talk about really being inclusive. This is where inclusivity really hits the mark. All of us are declared guilty. There is this state of total human lostness. And here's what Paul wants us to understand. The purpose of the law is not to bring salvation, but the purpose of the law is to make us aware of our sins. In other words, the law reveals to us how bad off we are. Okay. The law reveals to us how bad off we are. So Paul wants us to understand that by keeping certain traditions, like being circumcised, uh, as far as Jewish males were concerned, that it was a sign of the covenant. While those traditions were fine, those traditions did not save anyone. It just made us realize how bad off we are. So here's what the law did back then. And when we properly apply it to today's culture, this is how the law does right now. First of all, the law shows us where we go wrong. Okay. Secondly, the law reveals to us to help guide our actions by holding up God's standard. You and I do not earn salvation by keeping God's law. All right. And the only person that kept the law perfectly was Jesus Christ. All right. So, well, Reverend, how do we get right with God and how do our lives conform to, to, to the will of God? Because this is a, 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 a tricky situation. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And the joy comes in verses 21 through 26. And remember what I share with you about verses 21 through verse 26. Verse 21 through verse 26 is one compound, complex sentence in the Greek. And when you read it in the English, particularly I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Scripture. When you read it in that text, you will see a whole lot of commas and a whole lot of semicolons. No period until the end of verse 26. No period until the end of verse 26. So for, from verse 21 through verse 26, there is no period. Semicolons and commas. Now, many English teachers in today's culture may tell you, you better not have a sentence this long, <laughs> this complex, this compounded as far as writing is concerned. But it really shows as a whole unit what it is that Paul is trying to convey to us because this is really the good news that Paul wants us to take away after understanding that we are sinners that cannot be saved by the law, that we are indicted under the law, and yet God provides a wonderful alternative for anyone who is willing to do what the Lord desires for them to do. And so here it is. And if you don't take anything away, take this away. The way for us to be declared not guilty is by trusting Jesus Christ to take away our sins. Let me say it again. The way to be declared not guilty is to trust Jesus Christ to take away our sins. And basically what happens is that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are forgiven of our sins, we are made right with God, and we are empowered to live the way that Jesus teaches us. Let me say it again. When we trust God, number one, our sins are forgiven. Number two, we're made right with God. Number three, we are empowered to live the way Jesus teaches us. Okay. All right. Because if you look at if you look at verse 21, two words stand out that turns this whole reading on its head. Those two words are but now. But now the what? 
righteousness of God, apart from the laws revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. How can God accept us when we resist God, we ignore God, we try to deceive God, we work against God's interests? Uh, how, how do we, uh, we only... We only come to God when we find ourselves in a bind. Uh, uh, we think about our plans before we think about God's plans. We don't love God with our heart, soul, and mind. You know, uh, how can God accept us? How can God accept us? This word, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So, we deny there is a God and we create other gods out of some mess or we make somebody an idol in our life. And what's the answer to that? Recognize the answer to our problem is our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. All right. Stop denying there's a God. Stop making your own God. Recognize that we got to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Here's another false solution. We live in guilt. We punish ourselves. We mask the guilt behind alcohol, drugs, sex, or other addictions. Here's the real solution. Accept God's gracious gift of forgiveness and believe in God's love. Okay? Accept God's gracious gift of forgiveness and believe in God's love. Here's another bad solution. We use religion. And spirituality or the false understanding of spirituality, works, church attendance, service, giving money as a substitute for faith and loving God and obeying God. And here's the real solution. Realize that God wants to declare us not guilty and only God can do that. Okay. So I don't use works, church attendance, service, giving money to try to get right with God. I do that stuff because I am right with God. And because I am right with God, I do those things as far as bringing God glory through my ministry and church attendance and service. I don't do that stuff trying to get right with God. Oh, here, 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 is, here is a good one. 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 We assume false solution. We assume and we hope that God is going to save us anyhow. Doesn't work that way. Here's the real answer to that. We got to live in the freedom that God has given us. We got to enjoy the opportunities to give God our worship through our obedience rather than trying to accept God's uh, favor or uh, rather trying to earn God's acceptance. You and I cannot earn God's acceptance. We must understand, we must know, we must believe that God loves us and operate in the freedom of that love. And so when we do that, then basically what happens is we will come to the salient conclusion that um, I'm, I'm fine when I'm in Christ. When I'm outside of Christ, not too good, but I'm fine when I am in Christ. And then another bad solution or false solution is we conclude that God is too demanding and we live in fear or we live in apathy or we just accept mediocrity. But here's the shout of everything I've shared with you today. And if you don't get anything else, I want you to get this. Humbly accept the fact that Jesus Christ is the substitution for us and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Okay. All right. So let's go ahead and let's drill down on this as we, as we bring this to a close. The righteousness of God has been made known to us through Jesus Christ. In other words, you and I are made right through Jesus Christ. Christ by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Watch this. That's Jew and Gentile, male and female, bond and free, uh, heterosexual and homosexual, uh, 
uh, uh, African-American, Euro-American, Asian-American, uh, as a matter of fact, not even American, African, Asian, European, uh, 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 North American, South American, uh, Australian, Antarctic, all of us are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Not the law, but in Jesus Christ. Uh, not our works, but in Jesus Christ. All right, because here's what the law helps us understand. The law measures the distance between God and humanity. And if we're trying to bridge that distance between God and us through our works, we're going to fall short every single solitary time. As a matter of fact, and I know we don't like to talk about this word sin. I, I know. I know we don't like to talk about sin. Oh, we live in a, and in fact, you know, folks get offended when we use the word sin and we try to dress it up in today's culture. Instead of calling it sin, we call it a weakness. It's sin. 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 And sin keeps us from the presence and the power and the potential of God that God wants to work in our lives. And all of us have a common sinfulness that keeps us from becoming all that God wants us to be. And all of us who that sin, it confirms our staff, our, our status as a sinner, and it cuts us off from a holy God. And the only way that we're made right with God is by what? Placing our faith, our trust, our confidence in none other than Jesus Christ. Here is the crux of the matter. Um, because see, a lot of us, we love to stay stuck on verse 23. You know, ain't nobody perfect. All of us sin, fall short of the glory of God. Yeah, but if you really take this within the context that is given, again, verse 21 to verse 26 is one sentence in the Greek. It's one sentence. And so we gotta be very careful not to just take one little portion out and, and, and roll with that. But we got to understand, follow the flow. Righteousness revealed through the law and the prophets. It comes to fruition in the person of Jesus. Why? Because all of us are sin, falling short of the glory of God. We are justified through the redemption that is in Christ, whom God set forth. And y'all see this big word, propitiation? It Circle that. Circle that. Circle that, propitiation. Because that word propitiation basically means sacrifice. Now, here's where I want, want, want to drill down. I'm going to wrap up. We must understand there's no distinction in our fallenness and there's no distinction in, the, in our salvation. All right. Um, when God justifies us through Jesus Christ, it is as if here's the shout that if you really want to shout, you can shout in a Bible study that when we are justified legally, it's like we've never been accused of sin. And when God forgives our sins, God wipes the record clean, which means I don't have to work hoping that in the end I'm going to be all right with God. No, when I take Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I'm justified, I'm declared right before God, not because of my righteousness, but because of the righteousness that Jesus Christ has given me. He paid debt. He paid debt. So how did he pay that debt? That word uh, uh, propitiation, it is um, a sacrifice of atonement. Okay. And what Paul does is Paul goes back to the um, Levitical system of how uh, back then, in order for sins to be forgiven, it required a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. And it was a sacrifice of atonement. Now, would you believe that there are some seminaries who denied the propitiation of Jesus Christ or they don't believe that Jesus Christ had to die on the cross for our sins? There are some seminaries that teach that. Yeah, tends to be. However, let me stand on the on, on what we have as far as our Holy Scripture is concerned, that 
it required a sacrifice and it required a particular sacrifice. And the particular sacrifice was the blood of Christ. Christ's blood. Jesus was S-I-N negative. We are S-I-N positive. Old Testament believers were looking for Jesus to come. Uh, Old Testament believers believed that Jesus would redeem them of their sins. And here's where I want to close. And here's where we wrap up for today. Verse 26, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. This is basically what I wanted to get us to so that you will really appreciate what it means to be free in Christ. God maintains God's righteous character when he gave Jesus Christ as the perfect and complete sacrifice for our sins. So with that, God's justice for sin was satisfied. The full payment of those sins was done in Jesus Christ. And when you and I place our faith in Christ, we have been what? Justified. We have been justified. So Paul does not hesitate to emphasize that God is consistent. God is consistent. God was able to be perfectly just at the same time justifying those who trust in what God has done through Jesus Christ. And I'm glad that God is not a mechanical, impersonal God who would have left us without hope. But God got involved in our predicament when he became Jesus Christ in the flesh and offered God's self as the redeemer, as a propitiation, as a sacrifice for our sins while still remaining God, the creator, sending God, the redeemer, to die and use his blood to make us right with God, the creator, so that then God can send the Holy Spirit, the comforter, to live in us and to help us to live the life that God, the Redeemer, died for and that God, the Creator, created us for so that God, the comforter, can help us to become. So basically, all I'm just saying is that when you know who Jesus Christ is in a part of your sin, you are made right with God. And that is why, that is why the church exists. This is why. We are Christians, and this is what distinguishes us from any and all other faith belief systems. Amen. All right. So before I close out, um, let me uh, see if there are any questions uh, that any of you all may have. Any questions? Any questions? Any questions? Any questions? Any questions? So, 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 if there aren't any questions, uh, if there aren't any questions, uh, next week I want to focus on what does it mean to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We want to look at Colossians chapter one, Colossians chapter one. And we want to look at verses 15 through 23, Colossians chapter one, verse 15 through 23. We want to talk about what does it mean to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and, 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 and how are we going to unpack that as far as that's, that's concerned. Uh, but in the meantime, what I want you to wrestle with in your private prayer time is how God has forgiven you and what does it mean to live in the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ? And when you understand how much God has forgiven you and, and, and how God has freed you, it's my hope and prayer. It will help you to start turning uh, to become uh, such a, a better person uh, as far as Christ is concerned. Well, listen, that's our time. We hope and pray that you all have been blessed as far as this time of study is concerned. Um, uh, and as we get ready to close out in prayer, if you feel led to give, you can do that. Uh, even now, even in Bible study, you can give. And there are several ways you can give here at St. Paul. One way is by mailing a uh, check of money order to the church at 1401 Allen Street, Charlotte, 28205. Or 
You can drop off check cash money on it at the church. Call, make sure someone is here to receive your offering. Put it in the safe for next Sunday count. Uh, call the church office at 704-334-5309 to make sure that you can uh, handle that. Uh, make sure that we receive that you give through uh, ACS, through Church Life or through uh, uh, ACS, through our website. You can give through the app called Givelify and uh, just put it under Bible study or TNT and you can give as far as that's concerned. Well, it is my hope and prayer that uh, this time has blessed you next week. Again, we're going to talk about what does it mean to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. And I really want to drill down on that as Lord. We love the Savior part of Jesus, but, but we don't do that Lord part as well. And I want to unpack that very meaningful so that you and I will understand that we can have Jesus as Savior and not have him as Lord. I'm going to have fun with that next week. So check out Colossians 1, 15 through 23. May God bless you. Uh, I look forward to seeing you uh, uh, either physically or virtually on Sunday morning. Need to remind some folks, church doors are open. We're practicing protocols. We would love to see you in our space in the church. Uh, something about being in that physical space that uh, you can get. Uh, so we would love to see you in, in physical space, but if you can't come or you just uh, feel uh, uncertain about coming, of course, you can join us virtually as well. Uh, but here's what I want to impress upon you. And my friend, Bishop Sir Walter Max said it in a lecture uh, at United uh, sometime a, a day ago. He said, we want to be careful of having weary pastors and rested saints. Because of the COVID and because folks aren't doing like they used to do when it came to church, not volunteering, not being connected, we have weary pastors and rested saints. God knows we're called to be better. All right, take care. God bless. <laughs>